Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we are speaking with Rick Descharn. Rick is the founder and CEO of First Coast No More Homeless Pets and has provided the vision for the organization throughout its history. Rick studied animal welfare issues for years before forming First Coast and since forming the organization has become a nationally recognized expert in animal welfare issues. Rick is asked to speak at several conferences nationwide each year and consults with animal welfare organizations from around the country on how to decrease shelter death. Before entering animal welfare, he worked in heavy construction equipment, trailer manufacturing, and distributing. Working for 12 years with Landall Manufacturing and three years with Load King Trailers, Rick graduated from a business sales management course at Hamilton Business College in Mason City, Iowa. Rick, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stacy, and thanks for having me. How did you get involved with animal welfare and helping community cats? Well, I had always been interested in animal welfare and in trying to figure out a solution for all of the dogs and cats that were entering the shelters nationwide, really. And while I was working in my previous job, I, I studied the animal welfare problem pretty heavily, and I came across Peter Marsh up in New Hampshire and the success that they had had with targeted spay and neuter programs at decreasing and eventually eliminating the need to kill dogs and cats in the shelters there. Once I saw a program that had been successful somewhere and was able to uh, to end the killing of dogs and cats in shelters, I knew that that's what we wanted to emulate in Jacksonville, Florida. And so that's when I founded First Coast No More Homeless Pets, and that was in 2001 and 2002. When you started back then, did you start with opening up an adoption center or a spay-neuter clinic? What were your first approaches to success? Our first focus was on targeted spay and neuter programs, especially those programs targeted at pets of low-income pet owners. And how we were able to do that was we received a contract from the city of Jacksonville. I had participated in the mayor's task force on animal care and control back in 2001 and really pushed the whole concept of targeted spay and neuter programs and targeted at at populations that were at risk of ending up in shelters. And, of course, that includes pets of low-income pet owners, large dogs, breed-specific often like pit bull-type programs, which now we really just focus on large dog sizes and geographic, and then, of course, feral or community cats. And the year after the mayor's task force completed its report, the city put out a request for proposals 
to run a targeted spay and neuter program, and that's when I put together First Coast No More Homeless Pets as a nonprofit corporation and submitted a proposal to run the targeted spay and neuter program for the city of Jacksonville. And we were awarded that contract, and we've worked with the city on a targeted spay and neuter program for either pets targeted, either targeted at pets of low-income pet owners, and also every year we work with them on a community cat program that's targeted at community cats as well. And then over the years, we've partnered with them on other programs like the Feral Freedom Program. But we've been, uh, since 2002, the SPAJAX, which is our low-income targeted program, has been been very successful at decreasing the number of pets entering the shelters. So you've had very focused senior efforts going on since 2001. Just to give us a flavor of Jacksonville, Florida, a sense of the population and what sort of intake numbers you've seen decreasing over the years as a result of all these different initiatives? Absolutely, and that is really the exciting part of, of our success here and what really keeps keeps me and most of our team, I think, coming to work every day is the fact that we have seen such great success, not only in Duval County, but in a lot of the surrounding communities as well. In Duval County, when we first started in 2001-2002, the shelters were taking in over 33,000 dogs and cats, and over 23,000 of those were dying in the shelters every year, and those numbers were increasing annually. Um, this past year, the intake numbers were down under seven, uh, around 17,000, and the euthanasia last year was 781 dogs and cats that died in the shelters. And, and we really feel that those were all dogs and cats, that it was true euthanasia where it was in the best interest of the pet to be euthanized. Right. So we've had amazing success. It's very exciting, yes. very exciting. Yeah, that is. It's absolutely fabulous. And and you made an interesting comment too about saying that not only did that does it impact the the um, sort of target county, but you also get a sense of a little bit of a ripple effect in the surrounding counties too. Maybe not as significantly impactful, but yet some impact is being found felt in the surrounding counties. Well, our mission has always been to end the killing of dogs and cats in Duval County in the shelters, and then to do the same in the surrounding communities and then to help communities all across the country to do the same. And so while we've always focused a majority of our programs on Duval County, we've also always had programs in Nassau, Clay, St. John's, and some of the other surrounding counties. And then after we opened up our, our large spay and neuter clinic in 2009, um, we were able to uh, were able to offer low cost spay and neuter and partner on targeted spay and neuter programs um, to really communities all throughout Southeast Georgia and Northeast Florida with our five transport vehicles that we use to transport dogs and cats into our clinic for spay and neuter. In 2009, we opened our 16,000-square-foot headquarters building, which includes 9,000 square feet of space that is used for veterinary hospital space, and about 5,500 square feet of that is our spay and neuter hospital. And we do, right now, we do about 25,000 spay and neuters a year and have done that number or higher ever since we opened in 2009. Wow, I'm speechless. I'm trying to think of of a major name to give you because you are just, you're all over trying to 
get as many cats and dogs, you know, spayed and neutered as possible. That it sounds great. And now let's take a moment to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Ready to make a big difference for cats in your community? We've got an exciting opportunity that can jumpstart your efforts. The Community Cats Podcast has launched Community Cats Grants. When you qualify for this innovative program, you'll gain valuable knowledge about how to raise funds for your spay-neuter efforts. Plus, we'll match the funds you raise up to $1,000, doubling your ability to make a difference for cats. Fundraising doesn't have to be scary. We'll be with you every step of the way. Check it out. You can find all of the details on the Community Cats Podcast website, under our education menu. Let's join forces to make the world a better place for community cats. As we were speaking before we started recording the show, we were talking about even further expansion. So do you want to share your new news about your new expansion? That would be great. We've had a very exciting year this year. We opened a, a second location, a 10,000-square-foot low-cost veterinary clinic, uh, on the west side of Jacksonville at Cassett Avenue. And the reason we decided to open that is one thing that we didn't realize that was happening in the community, we knew it was happening, we just didn't realize the extent that it was happening, is what we call economic euthanasia, which is euthanasia that takes place in private practice veterinary clinics all around the country every day when pet owners go to the to the veterinarian and present a pet with a, a serious disease or injury and the cost to solve those problems for that pet is greater than what the pet owner has available. It may cost $1,500 for a surgery to heal a broken bone or to remove a blockage in the intestine and that may be far out of reach of, of many pet owners, middle-income pet owners as well as low-income pet owners, but certainly low-income pet owners. And so those pet owners then are offered economic euthanasia by the veterinarian where they may only charge $100 to euthanize the pet for the owner, and they offer that as the only alternative to more expensive treatment. We, we didn't realize how often that was happening until we started to offer low-cost vaccines and wellness care to go along with our low-cost spay and neuter, and people kept presenting uh, pets to us that had much more severe situations than what we could handle with the equipment and staff that we had on hand. And so we had referred them to a private practice veterinarian and they would literally break down in tears because they'd already been to that private practice veterinarian and they knew they couldn't afford them and we were really their only choice they had besides economic euthanasia of that pet. And so we would struggle to figure out how to help those pet owners that did come to us with that. And that's when we realized that we had to keep offering more and more veterinary services so that people could come to us. And often what happens is a surgery that costs $1,500 at a private practice veterinary clinic, we can do for $400 and still make a little profit on it to help pay for our other services. Often the clients can afford the $400 surgery, so it saves the life of the pet, makes the client feel better about themselves and their relationship with their pet, and certainly strengthens the, the human-pet bond. And uh, of course, helps our clinic because we make a little bit of money on it, and we love the thought of saving a pet as well. 
So it really works out well. And then clients that come to us and can't afford even those low-cost services, we figure out other ways to help them, either through financing, creative financing, or angel fund that helps people that can't afford it with needed emergency pet care. So it's really exciting, and that's one thing that we found is is decrease the number of pets entering the shelter as well as being able to help people with low-cost veterinary care. But that low-cost veterinary care is really just a part of the animal welfare safety net working with our animal welfare partners in Jacksonville here that we're trying to establish not really just in Duval County but in the whole region of a safety net of programs that helps pet owners keep their pets in their homes rather than having to turn them over to shelters when they face crises or emergencies in their lives. We offer low-cost or free veterinary care, but we may also offer such things as as guidance on behavior training or help with the deposit on a rental house that allows pets or repairing a fence to keep your pet in your yard or whatever it takes to sort of help keep people's pets with them rather than letting those pets end up in shelters because it's a lot less expensive for us and it's a lot better for the pet and the people if we can let people keep their pets and help people keep their pets um, rather than just taking them into a shelter and spending all those resources and efforts to rehome them. That's excellent. And one term that I'm starting to hear more frequently is rather than referring to wellness clinics, we're talking more community clinics or talking about community medicine for the animals in the community. And I think Peter Marsh actually, at one point he said, 80% of the cats that come into adoption centers or to shelters come from the lowest 20% income bracket. So we need to support that lowest income group. And I've said oftentimes that cats are pets of the poor. So we need to be able to provide services other than just spay neuter for those cats because We've done so much spay-neuter, which is great, and we continue to do so to help support the cats in that community. But as they age, those cats are going to support a care that oftentimes might be more expensive than a a simple spay-neuter procedure. So what you're modeling is basically providing systems that are going to support all levels of need for community cats. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and Stacy, one program that we didn't really discuss yet that we probably should if we're going to have a discussion about community cats, of course, is that in 2008, our organization, working with Jacksonville Animal Care and Protective Services, implemented really the first in its kind shelter-neuter return program for community cats we call the Feral Freedom Program here in Jacksonville. And that was a program basically where we return all of the outdoor cats that come into the shelter to the communities that they came from after sterilization, vaccination, and ear tipping. And that program was really what put us over the edge in our march towards no kill. And it had such a huge impact on decreasing the number of cats dying in the shelter that after that program was implemented in 2008 was when the whole community realized that no kill was a possibility and that we were going to be able to make it. Because, of course, prior to that, we always thought that community cats or feral cats would be the last animals that were still dying in the shelter and you know, we still hadn't come up with a solution for. But once we realized that we could simply just sterilize them, vaccinate them, ear tip them and return them to whence they come from, it just made all the difference in the world. It provides the shelter with an opportunity to do something more. It's a reactive response. TNR is a reactive response, but yet it's more proactive than the traditional of just, you know, accepting a cat into the shelter, you know, in a trap 
and then euthanizing it, that's not going to have the impact that a TNR cat is going to be. And so return to field is definitely a great way to relieve that extra pressure in any organization. I think that's excellent. Did the city of Jacksonville come up with the feral freedom idea, or did that come from your organization? Well, it was an interesting story there. We had gone to the city of Jacksonville to request that they return to us all of the ear tip cats because they had just changed chiefs over at Animal Care and Protective Services and they had not hired a new chief yet. The old chief was gone. The interim director, who was who was really the, the assistant chief, had moved up and he wasn't a feral cat guy, so he quit giving us back the year tip feral cats. It wasn't yeah. a huge problem because it was less than a dozen cats a year. But uh, best friends had come to me with an idea to do some microchipping of feral cats just to sort of see if we could track them throughout their life. But we wanted to make sure we could get them back if they ended up in the shelter. So I had went to the uh, to the person that was over five different city departments, one of which was Animal Care and Control, and that was Ebenezer Gujard Laputi, and he is a uh, an engineer for the city of Jacksonville that had moved up into management positions, and I asked Ebenezer if we could have back the ear-tipped cats that came into the shelter because, you know, we had already invested funds in them, and he said that he didn't know anything about ear-tipped cats or feral cats and that he was going to have to do some research and that we would get together for lunch and discuss after he did some research. And so he called me one day and said, hey, Rick, I've got my new feral cat policy ready. Would you like to meet for lunch? And we'll take a look at it. And so I met him for lunch downtown Jacksonville and sat down. And he already had a plate of food because it was a buffet. And so he pushed across the table a piece of paper to me. And it said on there that the city of Jacksonville's new feral cat policy was to turn over all feral cats that came into the city of Jacksonville to first coast no more homeless pets for spay and neuter ear tipping and vaccination and then to be returned to the location where they were trapped. And um, he says, well, when do, you, when do you want to get this new thing started? And I'm like, well, give me a, give me a chance to get some food here because I needed to buy some time to uh, think about this because they knew that we were talking about 5,000 feral cats a year approximately, and each one was going to cost me, you know, 50 bucks or whatever to fix them. And then I had to figure out a way to return them to where they came from. But he was quite anxious to get it started, so I went to the uh, buffet and got a plate of food and sat down, and I said, well, let's uh, give me 45 days I said let's start it June 1st I think is when I told him we were going to start it he was like well we got to wait that long and I'm like yeah I've got to get you know get my ducks in a row so to speak so uh, I left the uh, meeting and I called Best Friends Animal Society and uh, told them about what had transpired and they were gracious enough to help us out with the grant to help cover the first three years expenses of the program to really get the program up and running and it was a huge success that first year we took in about 5,500 cats through that program but this past year that number was down closer to around 2,400. So all of our efforts, I think, in Spain, neuter both through the Feral Freedom Program and through the approximately 12,000 or so other feral cat surgeries that we do in our clinic every year um, have really had an impact on the number of cats entering the shelters. That's a, a tremendous advocacy story, too. I mean, it just is through reaching out and communicating, you made an incredible thing happen between, you know, basically two people 
helped really define a nationwide respected model. That's incredible. So thank you for sharing that story. That was That's great. So I'm going to ask you a very simple question. If you were walking down the street and you saw a stray cat, what would you do? What I did was quit my job and started a spay and neuter and TNR program and, and helped to work towards having a shelter system where we could feel confident that if we did find a stray cat walking down the street or a stray dog walking down the street, that we could pick that dog or cat up and take it to the shelter and the best thing for that cat or dog would happen to it and not be euthanized just because there was too many of them. So if it was really a stray friendly cat that needed to get back to its home, to be honest with you, I'd probably just leave it where it's at because the fact is that almost all cats have a better chance of getting back to their home if you just leave them where they're at rather than picking them up and hauling them off to the shelter somewhere. And if it was a feral cat, I'd probably get a trap and trap it. But to be honest with you, here in Jacksonville, if you see a feral cat out in the community, almost always it's already ear tipped, which is a very cool thing. So the first thing I do, I guess, is look for an ear tip. Now, Rick, if people are interested in finding out more about your program or asking you questions, is there a way for them to reach you? Absolutely. Of course, they can always check out our website, which is firstcoastnomorehomelesspets.org, and you can also use fcnmhp.org, and then you can always email me directly at rducharme at fcnmhp.org. MHP.org. And I'll spell that again for you. It's R D U C H A R M E at F C N M H P.org. This has been a great conversation today, and I want to thank you so much. Are there any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, maybe just one thing is that, you know, one person can make a difference and go out and start an organization that can have an impact not just locally but nationwide. So get involved and do something, whether it's trap a few feral cats and bring them in for spay and neuter or start an organization that that turns into something that's a real force nationwide. Get involved and do something. Excellent. I couldn't agree with you more. I think we all have started out, you know, because of a couple of cats here and there, something just clicked with us and we said, okay, we we can do more and make a difference. And I do hope that everyone out there with regards to community cats will be able to help any community cat that needs assistance, as well as getting the help for the own cats out there that are in the community too. So thank you, Rick, so much for being on the show. And I hope you're willing to be a guest in the future. Absolutely. I would love to come back anytime, Stacy. Thanks for listening to the Community Cats Podcast. If you could go to iTunes and review the show, we'd really appreciate it. When you do, take a screenshot of your review, go to communitycatspodcast.com forward slash review and enter your information and we'll send you a t-shirt. While you're there, don't forget to check out all the ways you can support the content you're passionate about. Thanks, everyone. Wow.